1: Let's go places.
0: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen and I'm Caroline. Caroline, I got to tell you, I am so impressed with your coloring book skills. No. <laughs> so, listeners, Caroline posted a little teaser photo. This week, the week that we are recording this podcast um, on Instagram of a notorious RBG coloring that she did. Mm-hmm. And it was so good. You did shading. Yeah, just gave her a little blush. But I mean, even there's a so the, <laughs> the coloring book picture that Caroline drew was of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think on a unicorn yeah, with a rainbow in the background. Yeah. But you even did like shading in the rainbow.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, darker on the ends, lighter toward the middle. Wait until you see the shading on the unicorn's mane. Oh, my gosh. So I just did a close up. I just wanted to be a teaser so that people would uh tune in to our Facebook Live uh, and see it.
0: Yeah, oh, which, which unfortunately, by the time you're listening to this, Will have already happened, but that means you can go onto Facebook and watch it and see Caroline's full drawing. Yeah, it was great. It was
1: like, uh, guilty pleasure homework. Listen, listen, let me set the scene for you. Okay. This was a couple of days ago prior to this recording and I had been working for hours and hours and I was like, you know what? I need to, I need to set aside some time for myself. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch the Downton Abbey series finale, and I am going to color this picture of Ruth Bader Ginsburg on a unicorn. That sounds
0: like the perfect combination. It was
1: like the greatest hour and a half of my life.
0: Wow. Well, that day, anyway. Well, and you are one of just so many adults who is rediscovering the (laughs) joy of coloring. I loved it when I was a
1: child. Uh, I was not so good at coloring within the lines, Um. But actually for Christmas this year, uh, we, we go for Christmas dinner every year. We go over to our neighbor's house and have a big family dinner. And the matriarch of that family gifted my mother and me with coloring book calendars. So I, I mean, it like, it was these, these intricate, intricate drawings that you have to color in because apparently adult coloring books can't just be like simple they can't just be ruth bader ginsburg on a unicorn and uh it's beautiful like you have a different illustration for every month and you can color it in however you like and it, and it was really nice uh, i don't give myself as much time to do it as i would like because um, it is a nice way to like have something to do with your hands while you're watching TV so that you don't feel like you're wasting time. You need to find a new Downton Abbey, it sounds like. I know, I know. Um, well, luckily, House of Cards just came back on. There you go. Although you need to pay attention.
0: It's true, yeah. That might so be of a cards. tough one.
1: Yeah, well, but I, I come to find out, so in doing this, uh, podcast research yes we researched coloring books and it was so fun it was fun but uh, apparently this woman in Scotland Johanna Basford is like a badass when it comes to coloring book creation and illustration and it turns out that my coloring book calendar is by the now famous Johanna Basford
0: yeah I mean she it seems like is responsible for this whole adult coloring book massive trend, and also possibly, I mean, <laughs> a, a, the boon to just the print industry in general. Yeah, coloring books are a big deal right now. And the way that Basford ended up getting into adult coloring books, I mean, because she did not set out to become a, an adult coloring book artist, um, Lawrence King Publishing approached her a few years ago after seeing some of the free desktop wallpapers that she posted online. And they wanted to commission a children's book, but instead she pitched them a coloring book because people had been coloring in her wallpapers. Because what she does for people who aren't familiar with her work, it's just a lot of really intricate, like, ink drawings. Mm-hmm. Is that the best way to describe them, Caroline? Yeah. And, I mean, the publisher
1: was skeptical. Uh, this was pre-booming uh, coloring book trend. Um, But then they saw her first submissions, and they were sold. So her first creation was the coloring book Secret Garden, which is what my calendar is based on. It's also a Secret Garden coloring book. But I love this. It was inspired by Scotland's Brodick Castle Gardens, where her grandfather had been the head gardener. And now
0: there are more than 1.5 million copies in print. Yeah, and doesn't she now have three coloring books in the series? I know the most recent one was... An under the sea coloring book that I really want to get.
1: Yeah, she has, yeah, she has uh, a couple in her, in her series now. And they really are these intricate, uh, intricate illustrations, like you said. And the frustrating part, cause I got to the February, the February page, just a lot of hearts and leaves and stuff. And I actually had the thought, which I never thought I would have this thought, but I actually had the frustrated, resentful thought of like, oh, this basic box of colored pencils is not cutting it. I need more color options. So now I've got to haul my butt over to the art store that's over here by our office and get
0: some more colored oh, pencils. I love that. Well, and one really neat thing, too, about Basford's coloring books are that she hides images within these really intricate designs and landscapes that she does. And that's why, um, like, the series are called Inky Treasure Hunts. Um, so, it's just so creative, and she seems just like a delightful person in general, by the way. Uh, she had an interview over at Smart Girls at the Party, which is one of our favorite outlets online. Um, and she talked a lot about the support that she received from her mom friends. Uh, I think particularly when she was making her most recent coloring book, um, because I think she was a new mom at the time, very new mom. And all of her mom friends encouraged her to keep going and create these books because at first she was like, there's no way I can do this. This is just too much. I can't possibly. But she did.
1: Well, yeah, and she told smart girls that all of her girlfriends, all of these women around her told her that being a working mom was an inspiring thing for her little girl to see, not a setback. And she said that they removed the guilt they gave her the boost that she needed to remember
0: that she could do stuff like this. I love those girls, she said. And it also seems like she is really supportive of her fellow female artists and enjoys shouting them out as well. Um, Smart Girls asked her whether there are other lady artists out there who inspire her, and she said, quote, loads, although she clarifies that, I mean, if you look at a picture, it's not like you can immediately tell whether, as she calls it, it was created by someone with a bra. But she does have a list of other women whose vision, focus, and work really inspires her. So she called out Orla Keeley, Kath Kidstone, and also Jessica Walsh. Oh, and also Beyonce.
1: Yeah, so she has all these different women who inspire her for different reasons, you know, everything from their actual work to the way that they, they live their lives. And she cited Beyonce as an incredible musician and so creatively clever, but also essentially a working mom. It's true. Who isn't inspired by Beyonce in some way? Working mom supporting working moms. You gotta yeah, love it. I do love it. But it's not just gardens and flowers and little bees drawn into the background to find... There are plenty of absurd and feminist offerings out there. Everything from, like we talked about, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, all the way to
0: vulvas. People, yeah. If you want to try out this whole adult coloring thing, there is definitely a book or a printout online for you. Because, uh, as we shared far and wide across the sminty social media verse, Shinos dot com has free printouts of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in various scenarios, which are fantastic. Yeah, but
1: you can also get uh, a Hillary Clinton uh, coloring book from Valentin Ramon. Uh, Unicorns are jerks and... Fat Ladies in Space, a body-positive coloring book, were both created by Nicole Lorenz. Uh, you've got The Big Coloring Book of Vaginas by Morgan Hastings. Girls Are Not Chicks by Jacinta Bennell and Julie Novak. And
0: Coloring Outside the Kitchen by Casey Landau. Those are just a couple. But, Caroline, by far, the coloring book, and this is a vintage adult coloring book we ran across. Or I guess, I don't know, is it technically adult or more just a sex education coloring book that we ran across on Amazon uh, that <laughs> made us just kind of stop and stare for a moment is the C word that we can't say on the podcast coloring book by T Corinne.
1: Yeah, and the description is over three dozen C words of every size and description for you to color originally used for a sex education class crayons not included.
0: And while that might sound like a, like a super vulgar kind of coloring book, no, Corinne had a very like feminist intention with this. She said, in 1973, I set out to do drawings of women's genitals for use in sex education groups. I wanted the drawings to be lovely and informative, to give pleasure and affirmation. I organized the drawings into a coloring book because a major way we learn to understand the world as children is by coloring. And as adults, many of us will still need to learn about our external sexual anatomy. And T. Corinne, a brilliant idea. True, true and true. Although you just might need to remarket the maybe, maybe tweak the title.
1: Um I highly encourage you to go. Look for this book on Amazon, uh, even if you don't buy it. You can get the cover printed on a T-shirt, BT Dubs. Um, but the reviews of this book are hysterical. Uh, there are a lot of people who are very enthusiastic about it and think it's fabulous, whether it's because they think it's funny or because it's educational or whatever. There was a negative review I saw that was like, "Ugh, the quality of the paper
0: subpar. <laughs> Subpar. One star. You've got all of Amazon reviews. I like that that's a complaint. Um, But all of these coloring book titles have been flourishing, and publishers are loving it. I mean, they literally are having a hard time just keeping up with demand. Um, In spring 2015, for instance, coloring book sales exploded, and the publisher Dover has racked up $10 million in coloring book sales in just a few years. And I noticed, um, before we did this podcast, actually, Caroline, I noticed that, huh, this must be a huge thing now because when I was getting some lunch at Whole Foods. Yeah. There was an adult therapy coloring book right next to like the Yoga Monthly magazine.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, I have seen that exact same coloring book. And so it, yeah, it makes sense why there are so many dollars being driven, uh, by coloring books. You've got the Quarto Publishing Group USA. Their sales have been driven, in particular, by the Zen Coloring Books line, which has sold more than 270,000 copies. They've got titles like Color Me Calm and Color Me Happy,
0: which were created by art therapist Lacey Mucklow, working with artist Angela Porter. And you have more and more publishers and booksellers getting in on the game, too. And it seems like they're either going the funny route with titles like Hemming Wasted or more meditative with The Color Your Way to Calm. There's so much conversation now um, and social media posts about anxiety and coloring and uh, how it can induce that meditative state. And as a result, though, coloring books have consistently been in the top 15 bestsellers on Amazon. And Johanna Basford's Secret Garden, was Amazon's number one bestseller for a while. Yeah. And so, I
1: mean, publishers are stoked. Like, obviously, like, is this bringing back print? It's probably, it's not going to do anything for newspapers, sorry. But, I mean, it it really is getting people to look away from their screens for a while, even if they
0: then do immediately go and post pictures on social of their coloring like I did, which is no big deal. And what I would not have guessed about all of this Is how this trend that we're seeing now in the states started in France. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So
1: coloring, adult coloring came into vogue in France a couple years ago in 2012 with the book Art Therapy, 100 Anti-Stress Coloring Pages, featuring mandala-like designs promising relaxation support. And the success of this book prompted a whole series, which has gone on to sell more than 2.5 million copies in France and 1 million in 18 other countries around the world. And what's so great is that pretty soon, even... Fashion houses like Yves Saint Laurent were getting in on the fun. And Hermes, for instance, released their own 12-page, $160 coloring book that featured animals in clothes. Oh, let me just rush out and buy myself just a few copies of that. Just, well, some to use as kindling in the fire,
0: but one to keep, yes. to actually color. Um And of course, there's an Atlantic think piece about this. Uh, yeah, there actually there's a couple. I was about to say, yeah, there's more <laughs> than one. Um But in this think piece, they say that a contributing factor to this starting in France is that French people are some of the most depressed and anxious in the world, which I also didn't know. I had no idea. Yeah.
1: According to the World Health Organization in 2011, they found that France's lifetime rate of major depression was higher than any of the 17 other countries that they surveyed. And in 2009, for instance... There were actually so many workplace suicides that companies were prompted to hold these things called stress negotiations with employees. And so what do these things have to do with each other? The whole stress and depression and anxiety aspect and coloring? Well, I mean, depending on who you ask and what Atlantic think piece you read, it kind of has everything to do with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the whole idea is that this act of coloring reduces your stress. It boosts mindfulness. Mindfulness is a, is a big buzzword in the, the coloring book zeitgeist. Um, and also this ties into our growing conversations about being attached to screens, about how we're working 24 hours, essentially. We're constantly burning out and our need for self care. Coloring is our self care, Caroline. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and the very skeptical Kate Mossman over at the New Statesman just basically ties this in with Marketing Genius. She says, by branding themselves as, quote, analog activities, the new coloring books seize on our half-formed anxieties about having a digital life, providing commercially packaged screen-free pastimes that promise to reconnect us with ourselves. She goes on to say that this now analog hobby becomes a total craze. It's part of the whole Zeitgeist thing. And then people turn around and get on Twitter or Instagram anyway just to post pictures of their creations. Like you did. Like Like Stuff Mom Never Told You's Instagram. That is that is correct. And, yes, that is a plug for Stuff Mom Never Told You Instagram. Um, And it's funny because I I don't think Kate Mossman is wrong. But it's just like my overwhelming response to so many of the stuff, so many of the uh, sources we read about coloring books is like, chill out. Let people do whatever they're going to do. <laughs> the skeptical sources, you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and it is funny when you see people who are so passionate about coloring books, but that almost like warms my cold, dead heart a little bit more. The skeptical stuff is just like, guys, why do we care what other people are doing with their colored pencils?
0: I mean, and I have, oh, God, I hate that I'm saying this out loud, <laughs> but I have not yet found the time, Caroline, to sit down and try out. Coloring, you know, as you know, as an adult. Um, But what you've talked about and also what we've read from people like Julie Beck in The Atlantic makes total sense. I mean, she describes it as a form of meditation for people who are too twitchy to sit still. And that's absolutely me. I mean, I have a really hard time sitting through a whole movie if I'm not at least being what I call productive. At some point, whether it's like cleaning up or mm-hmm. maybe getting on my laptop to do stuff I've never told you work. So, I mean, I should probably get to coloring. Well, yeah. And Beck also points out that it
1: offers the benefit of creativity without the paralysis that a blank page can lead you to feel. She calls this the paradox of choice. You're faced with a blank page and you're like, oh, what do I draw? What do I create? What do I write? Um But when it's a coloring book, it's like. Oh, I just get to choose my colors and blend them and shade them and choose what color, uh, RBG's unicorn is gonna be. Um, and this, as we will talk about, has led a
0: lot of people to kind of tisk tisk colorers. Colorers. Well, there is psychological support for coloring that does go back to Carl Jung. I mean, he was kind of the original coloring therapist because he would have his patients draw and cover mandalas because of its calming effect and to facilitate what he called psychic integration. And this was also backed by a 2012 study, which found that activities like coloring mandalas significantly reduce anxiety. Yeah, and so researchers say that it has this
1: distressing effect because you get to focus on a particular task. Take your mind off your worries. And it also sort of links you subconsciously back to a simpler time, presumably a simpler time of childhood when you did have however much time to play and color and, you know, whatever, whatever those coloring books might have been. Um, and Huff- Huffington Post talked to psychologist Gloria Martinez Ayala, who said that when we color, we are actually activating all different parts of our brain. We're using logic. So we're coloring existing forms and coloring them inside the lines. But we're also blending that with creativity because we're having to mix and match and choose colors. And so she says that we are incorporating areas in our brain that are evo- involved in both fine motor skills and vision. You got you to gotta hold that pencil just right. But also that it lowers activity in the amygdala, which is an area
0: involved in controlling emotions. And it's also affected a lot by stress. And one thing that jumped out to me in one of these pieces where a woman was talking about how therapeutic coloring has been for her, she never goes back and looks at what she's colored before. It also, I mean, it kind of reminds me of the yoga ethos of just sort of letting things go. Mm -hmm. You're in the moment and then you just, turn the page
1: or like journaling yeah i mean if you journal and you just you write down the days fears worries woes and just kind of leave it behind yeah
0: well and that echoes exactly carolyn what psychologist Antonio martinez said that we can use this coloring to enter a quote more creative freer state and also connect with how we feel because martinez suggests that our color choices are sort of like mood rings they tell us <laughs> How we're feeling. So if I ever sit down and just color Ruth Bader Ginsburg on a unicorn, just fill it all in with a with an unfortunate green, then I probably need to take a vacation. Probably. Yeah. But luckily you can print out more copies of that. Yeah. And also chances are it's probably just the case that I only had a green crayon. (laughs) You, you bring yours into work and it's just like scribbled all over. Yeah, I just have one of those, um, like a broken off restaurant crayon, you know, that people give kids.
1: Those little stubs. Well, so everybody though, from psychologists to artists and art therapists are understandably dubious about the coloring book trend only as it relates to like mindfulness and stress relief. But we'll get right back into that and we come right back from a quick break.
0: Caroline, I'm super excited to talk about Lola because Lola is a tampon service. And obviously, on stuff I've never told you, we love pretty much anything that has to do with periods and tampons. And the great thing about Lola is A, the box they come in is beautiful. It's super fancy. It's very nice. I mean, and it's also nice to like have just like such an aesthetically pleasing box to open as you're reaching for a tampon. It kind of helps you forget that you're reaching for a tampon and you're on your period. But when you unwrap that tampon, it gets even better friends because Lola tampons are 100% cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dies. And what's so great is that
1: you can get Lola through a monthly subscription that is fully customizable. You can choose a mix of light, regular and supers and the number of boxes and the frequency of delivery. Plus, that subscription is super flexible. You can change, you can skip it, you can cancel
0: it anytime. So if you want to try out Lola, we have a fantastic deal for you. For 60% off your first order, visit MyLola.com and enter promo code MOMSTUFF when you subscribe. So
1: try it out today to get 100% cotton tampons. Go to MyLola.com, enter code MOMSTUFF.
0: So, Caroline, how could someone possibly badmouth coloring? It seems like just... (laughs) The most innocent of hobbies. I, I absolutely think it's
1: innocent. I mean, I, I for me, like the only way to possibly badmouth coloring would be like, Caroline, you should be doing the laundry instead. But while you're doing the laundry, why not color? I mean it all it all just works out and you get to see the color spread across the page. I guess maybe I like coloring for the same reason that I like laundry. Cause you mm. literally immediately get to see the progress. Anyway, I like these connections we're making so many. Con- you guys are learning so many, like, really boring facts about me today.
0: <laughs> I would
1: call them colorful facts.
0: Caroline. Ooh, oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, there we go. Um, well, you know, for starters, people do point out that these intricate adult coloring books, creations like the ones that Johanna Basford makes, are pretty difficult and that they're like almost impossible to finish i have only done i haven't gotten to march yet sorry sorry people uh but for january and february in my coloring calendar i've only finished like half of each drawing oh i
0: bet i mean i think it would take hours to complete a basford page And, and my hand starts to hurt do you have a little stress ball, one of those little squeezies? No, I should. I should get one of those, like, carpal tunnel braces. Oh my gosh. I really hope to come to work one day and see <laughs> you, you know, with our stand up desks next to each other, just like soaking your, your little coloring hand in an Epsom salt bath. Oh yeah, no, and, and we will
1: talk about the importance of that. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are like, sure, it allows you to focus. Like, you can sit down and focus on the exact shade of RBG's rainbow, but, are we trying to elevate this beyond just a kitty pastime? Is it really fostering or helping creativity at all? Because that's that seems to be the main fear is that we're stunting true creativity, whether you are a child or an adult, and that it's being falsely sold as therapy. And one of the biggest voices with this concern in our, in our modern age anyway is one Susan Stryker who in the late seventies and early eighties, she's an art teacher. She published her anti coloring book series, one for kids and one for adults to basically try to push back against the damaging effects of such a strictly defined and what she called creativity limiting task. One that she felt turned children into robots.
0: Yeah. So. The anti-coloring book might contain, say, part of a picture of a horse. Maybe it has, like, the head. And it would be like, okay, here's the head of a horse. Now you draw the rest. Yeah. But for someone like me who cannot... I'm not very good at drawing, <laughs> Caroline. It is not... It's not in my skill set, and that's totally fine. I, the anti-coloring book would have made me so distressed as a child. <laughs> and that horse would have would have been a hot mess. You would have just colored
1: the head and then it would have been like, and Kristen actually just has the Godfather coloring book. <laughs> like draw draw a bed around this dismembered.
0: <laughs> exactly. And I could handle a bed, it's just a rectangle. <laughs> With more rectangles like, for pillows. Right,
1: more rectangles. And then another rectangle for the blanket across. Yeah,
0: yeah. We're we're about on the same. I like your Godfather <laughs> coloring book, Caroline, which probably exists. But <laughs> back to Susan Stryker, of course, people have asked her what she thinks about the revived trend.
1: Yeah, she's not pleased. She says, well, yeah, if you I'm just this, this is me projecting a tone. If we want to use more therapy speak, I'm projecting right now. Uh But Stryker says, yeah, I mean, if you want to turn off your mind instead of turning it up, then coloring is one way to do it. It can allow you to. Tune out of your life, I and mean, it's a choice. Should I take a drink, or drugs, or pick up a coloring book? Wow, whoa. Susan Stryker. Yeah, don't whoa.
0: invite her to your wine and coloring party. Seriously, which I want to
1: have. Um, but she goes on to say, cause she's not, she's not done, nor should she be. Susan, we're not trying to silence you. Uh, she says, people really have been educated to believe that they cannot do art. And I can see where she's coming from. Like, I mean, how many, You've got all of these math classes. How many art classes do you have? You know, I loved art as a kid. I just didn't always have time to pursue it. Uh, she says a coloring book can help you empty out your mind. Yet to be mindful is not to escape from your problems, but to face them head on. The new mindful coloring books are mindless. You should be drawing your own pictures.
0: But again, to Susan Stryker, I say, what if what if I cannot draw my own pictures? Like, literally, I can't.
1: Yeah, well, or what if you just don't feel like it? Or what if you just really seriously enjoy shading in a rainbow? That should be fine. Not to speak from personal experience, right, Caroline? No, for sure. But stop telling people should. That's my big thing. Talk about throwing some shade, huh?
0: Mm. Coloring puns ain't going to stop. <laughs>
1: Can't stop, won't stop. Um, but it's not just Stryker. I mean, there are a lot of psychologists who are decidedly not on board as well. And they draw distinctions between art and coloring. Uh, Kathy Malchiotti told The Guardian that while studies have indeed confirmed the benefits of engaging in creative hobbies, whether it's painting or drawing or writing or whatever, That pursuit doesn't involve coloring in someone else's designs. And I feel like there's a little bit of like – I want to say like art classism here going on because why why poo-poo someone's chosen creative hobby if it's what they want to do and they get enjoyment out of it?
0: Yeah, it's not like people are – coloring and then suddenly declaring themselves artists and trying to sell their coloring book pages in galleries, or maybe they are. Maybe they are. They're I don't very know. ambitious. Um, and along those same lines of kind of the the snobbery of it all, mm-hmm. the anti-coloring book argument that made me wince the most, which I think was in The New Yorker, <laughs> no surprise, um, were some people saying that this is just another millennial trend of us reverting because we now have adult summer camps we go to adult sleepovers and we're trying to recapture this childhood that never even really existed and look at us now we're just coloring so we're just infantilizing ourselves which i say what you said earlier like eh, maybe you should go color and (laughs) calm down a little bit and let (laughs) Let me relax how I care to. It's a much healthier way of relaxing than a lot of other things we could be doing. Exactly, And I emphatically
1: say that, no, this is not, quote unquote, just a millennial trend. Sure, there are people around our age and younger who are doing it and creating like really those really quirky, funny coloring books that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. But I'm sorry, like when you go on articles and think pieces about coloring and coloring books, inevitably, the women who are quoted... And the women who are commenting
0: are really closer to our mother's ages than they are ours. And would you say the same thing for guys who pop up in those articles and comment sections? I would say the
1: same. And, and we will talk a little bit more about gender divisions in coloring books and characters and all of that stuff. But yeah, it does seem to be like, I mean, kind of a lady pastime but really that age division is what jumped out to
0: me well and that's one reason too why uh, the guardian published an article on the the health risks of coloring (laughs) which i know that might sound wild but i mean particularly for these older people who might have if they are retired they might just have like extra time and they will people will color for hours and hours like the people Mm -hmm. they were interviewing for (laughs) this article color for like four plus hours a day Um, And the one woman, for instance, who kind of kicked off the story has, I don't know if it was carpal tunnel, but she has to put on like a hand brace and a back brace and a, you know, she has to ice her neck, all these things just to get her ready to color. Yeah. Because if you are gripping that little crayon and you're hunched over... The coloring book or the piece of paper, it's not very good for you to sit like that for four hours. Well, yeah, especially like, you know, I, I remember
1: being a student in high school and college and taking endless notes and writing endless papers by hand. Um, and so I was just conditioned to it. But yeah, that first time that I took those colored pencils out of the box to, to color in my calendar, um, yeah, my hand hurt real fast. And one of the people in that article equates it to basically running a marathon if you're not even that much of a jogger. Basically like, you've gotta prep. You've gotta prepare yourself and know how to, know how to stretch and take breaks, uh, and condition yourself. They, they talked about using splints and braces and support tape soak your wrist or your hand in hot wax or epsom salts one woman was like oh i just go get a a manicure so that i can get a hand massage you soak your hand in hot wax oh you know like when you go to have you ever gone to a spa and gotten the the wax on your hand i guess not it's in like and i'm not kidding i'm sure that there are salons and spas out there who like have something that's specifically for this purpose but they're seriously, like, wax. And it's just warm. It's not like it's not like the Ricky Martin video where you're pouring, like, hot candle wax on some guy's chest. Like, it's a crock pot set to low, and they put wax in it. And you just, like, soak. And it's supposed to lock in moisture or whatever. Hmm. And and I can't vouch for any effectiveness,
0: but it sure
1: feels really cool.
0: Yeah, when I heard so- soak in hot wax, I just thought of, like, the hot wax they use to wax your eyebrows. Oh, it seemed incredibly painful. That does sound incredibly painful,
1: but no. I mean... Yeah, I mean, that does sound incredibly painful. And there are painful ways to go about coloring. But I mean, there are people who I mean, specifically women who were quoted in the article as saying that it took their minds off of not only mental health stuff of like whatever depression or anxiety they were feeling that day but also takes their mind off of the back pain. And I guess that that does come down to how you're doing it. If you are sitting properly, if you're in an ergonomic setup and not stressing your muscles out too much to help avoid, like, worsening or,
0: or getting, period, aches and pains. Well, when coloring books were first invented, that seems weird to call it something invented, but obviously there were, you know, the first ones. When they were invented, of course, we didn't have crayons. We weren't gripping onto our crayons because when they arrived in the late 19th century, they were actually called painting books because, yeah, no crayons. And in 1880, the Little Folks Painting Book is considered the first popular painting book or the kind of early coloring book.
1: Yeah, and so their popularity was really helped along by better printing technology and cheaper paper, uh, something that some of those Amazon reviewers of the C-word coloring book would just not be pleased with. Um But the thing is, it's hard to pin down exactly when we got our first painting book or coloring book because there was no copyright law. So illustrations were just stolen willy-nilly. And one of those early painting book illustrators who had her stuff stolen was Kate Greenaway. And this is really just a little historical side note, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Um, Her illustrations were in some of those earliest coloring books, the Little Folks Painting Book, but also the Little Folks Nature Painting Book um but we're not sure like did she actually create those images for the coloring books
0: or were they stolen by the publisher a lot of people seem to think that they were kind of just ripped off yeah i mean she kate greenaway too seems like the charles dana gibson of like children's culture and fashion of the time so charles dana gibson being the illustrator who created the gibson girl silhouette and style and kate greenaway's drawings or illustrations of children and also their clothes were extremely influential in what the little children's the little folks, as they called them, were wearing. Um, and early education experts, I guess this is in the around the turn of the century, encouraged using coloring books to promote creative freedom. And by the 1920s, even newspapers were printing them.
1: Yeah, so a little bit different than what you hear from the skeptical art therapists today, um, But when you move into the subversive 60s, and this is coming from a great article over at the New Republic, you get some of the first adult coloring books. But they were really kind of more specialized political cartoon rather than mindfulness practice. Uh, they focused on fears ranging from national security and communists to sex and mental illness to even office culture. And speaking of office culture, in 1961, The supposedly, I guess, first adult coloring book was called The Executive Coloring Book, and it was created by three Chicago ad guys who used it to mock office culture as conformist. And they walked you through these really dreary scenarios with even drearier captions like, this is my suit, color it gray or I will lose my job. This is my train. It takes me to my office every day. You meet lots of interesting people on the train. Color them all gray. Oh, but they do add color. Uh, This is my pill. It is round. It is pink. It makes me not care.
0: When I first saw those, I was astounded that they were from the 60s because the humor and style feels so modern. Yeah. I mean, snark is timeless, I guess. Yeah. Um, in 1962, apparently, again, they were they were a hit. Sales of adult coloring books hit $1 million. Um, the JFK coloring book by Mort Drucker topped the New York Times bestseller list for 14 weeks, along with Joe B Nation's New Frontier coloring book, um, which made fun of the Red Scare, and the John Birch Society coloring book, which mocked conspiracy theories. And the same year... Barbara Streisand had a single called My Coloring Book. Yeah, she's all crooning about, like, get your crayons ready and
1: color me. Color to me. I don't know which one it is. I like to imagine it's color me because then I just think of Jack and Rose from Titanic. (laughs) And, And then I wish she had said, like, color me like one
0: of your French girls. Well, and I want to send those New York Times bestseller lists from the early 1960s to whoever they quoted in that New Yorker piece to see say, see, look, it's not it's not just us
1: millennials, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, just a year later, in 1963, uh, the Washington Post was reporting on a doctor who proposed using a coloring book as a diagnostic tool to classify people with different mental illnesses. And I mean, there you go again, having that idea of coloring book as therapy, which Carl Young had sort of uh, pioneered. But I think it's interesting that, speaking of Carl Jung, in the 60s, these adult coloring books were exploding, right as interest in Freudian psychoanalysis and child development was coming back into vogue. It was giving adults, perhaps, as the people over at the New Republic posit, uh, a chance to return to childhood and reject the system. And They say that maybe these coloring books were normalized for this particular generation, even if it was just snark, even if it wasn't literally to color, um, because this was the first generation to grow up with crayons, for instance, as a common household item rather than as a luxury. And, importantly... The last generation before education experts, specifically this guy, Victor Loewenfeld, rejected coloring books as stunting to children's innate creativity. So we had seen what Kristen said a little bit ago that around the turn of the century, those early education experts were like, yes, use coloring books to help spur creativity. Well, then Loewenfeld comes around. I think he and Susan Stryker would get along great. And says the youngster is supposed to color within the lines and some youngsters seem to enjoy this activity. This enjoyment may be because these youngsters do not have to think for themselves. Ouch, Lowenfeld, And so he expresses all this concern on kids' dependency upon someone else's outline. He wants to see children not only coloring outside the lines, but literally and figuratively, but just creating their own
0: stuff. And the thing is, if we jump forward to today and with those kids all grown up and coloring, I think regardless of what... Any skeptical psychologists or Susan Strikers might say, we're going to keep coloring. I mean, and, and this might be a flash in the pan kind of trend, but people seem to be deriving so much enjoyment out of it. And it's so social media ready mm-hmm. that, I mean, it makes so much sense why we're seeing a resurgence. Yeah. But we were wondering with all of this, is this resurgence gendered at all? And there hasn't been we we couldn't find any studies on the gender breakdown of adult colorers. But anecdotally, like you said, it does seem to be more older women who are both interviewed about uh, their coloring habits and also commenting on these articles.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when men when men do chime in, they're also a little bit older. And we also wondered about the people who are designing and creating these books. But again, it's just kind of anecdotal evidence. It seems to be largely women artists and art therapists creating these books. And really, the only guy authors and creators we've even mentioned or we came across were the ones from the 1960s who were creating those snarky, subversive books. And so I I, I wonder about that division. So you've got dudes from the ad world creating snarky subversive commentary as coloring books uh and then today's landscape seems to be a lot of women creating very in earnest very like beautiful artistic you know forest themed creations for people to color
0: but then you also have a lot of women who are making and also sharing the snarky subversive Mm -hmm. coloring books more along the lines of like the Hillary Clinton coloring book or the unicorns or jerks. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it seems like that's still alive and well. And from what I've noticed on social media in terms of what ladies seem to love sharing with each other are more of those coloring books that allow us to express frustrations of gender discrimination or body shaming or issues like that, or celebrate people like a Ruth Bader Ginsburg or mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton. Yeah, which, again, is like, of course, it's total social media heaven.
1: All of those memes, coloring books kind of just fit right into that. But we did find a study that looked at the coloring books themselves. And this was coming from the journal Sex Roles in 2010. Researchers looked at 889 characters, why they didn't take it to 890, uh, in
0: 56 coloring books. And they found that gender stereotypes are pretty common. And these were specifically coloring books for kids. Yes. Yeah. So the gender stereotyping manifested in male characters being more active, being likelier to carry out gender neutral activities, and also mostly depicted as animals, adults and superheroes. But what did the ladies do? They were more likely to be depicted as children or some animals, but probably animals with long eyelashes so that we know that they're girls. Right. Exactly. How else do you know? No. way. I I don't think there is biologically any other way to tell. (laughs) Pretty sure you're right.
1: Yeah. So I wonder, like, does it does it matter if coloring book characters are gender stereotypical? I mean, I guess you could argue that it does if it's kids, kids coloring
0: books during those ages when their gender schemas are forming. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because of all the time spent hunched over those little images, imagining themselves. Little, little squirrels with long eyelashes. Uh, yeah, you, you put eyelashes on Superman. Yeah, Do it. That's right. Which makes him a lady. But listeners, we're really curious to hear from you whether you've hopped on the adult coloring train because, I mean, it, it does seem to be a really common form of self care now for people who deal with anxiety yeah. and other kinds of kind of just daily mental health issues. Well, it's a nice way to press the pause button.
1: It's a nice way to, I mean, For better or worse, it is a nice way to empty out your mind sometimes. Although, like, who's to say that you're not mulling over your frickin' problems as you color? Come on. I I want to give people more credit than Susan Stryker and psychologists are.
0: Yeah, quite possibly we can multitask even while coloring. Oh, my God. Incredible. I
1: can plan uh, what I'm going to buy at the grocery store. There you go.
0: Well, listeners, MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is where you can write to us and send us photos of your coloring if you would like to. Or you can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or tag us on Instagram if you've got any special drawings or colorings you want to share with us. And we've got some messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. So, Kristen, using the amazing
1: Legacy Box service, my parents have been able to ship off my mother's old... Family movies, all of these reels that I'm hoping, fingers
0: crossed, show really embarrassing images of my mother as a small child. Well, and then what's going to happen to those reels that they have sent off to Legacy Box, which is located in Chattanooga, Tennessee, is that they will then be digitally transformed into digital files that your mom can watch and post on Facebook. (laughs) Over and over again to share with all of us. And whether you have old film reels, VHS tapes, cassette tapes, whatever the format of your outdated memories, you can get them digitally preserved with Legacy Box.
1: Yeah, Legacy Box makes it really easy. They send you a kit that you fill with all of the formats in your collection and then send it back prepaid. In a few weeks, you'll get your originals back along with DVDs and digital files ready to share and enjoy. And right now, we have a deal for you guys. Go to LegacyBox.com slash MomStuff for a special
0: offer. You can get 40% off your Legacy Box order by just going to LegacyBox.com slash MomStuff and using the code MomStuff so don't wait preserve those memories today with legacy box that's legacybox.com com slash mom stuff use code mom stuff and now back to the show
1: okay so we have a couple more letters from our interview with bossed up founder emily aries she really struck a nerve with people and i'm glad you guys enjoyed that talk um, this one's from Bo. Bo says, uh, that the podcast was so recognizable. Life itself is, even apart from my working life, quite a challenge, even without doing much. This is because I'm chronically depressed. Of course, I'm not walking around like a train wreck all day, but it's always sort of on your mind. It's quite hard to summarize my depression in a few sentences, but I'll try. From the age of six, I realized that I really didn't want to live. Yes, from the tender age of six, I was overthinking my own mortality. Getting older and becoming more aware that not wanting to live isn't exactly standard. I figured I should just sit it out as long as there are people who care about me. There are a few ways to cope with life after accepting this. You could just make the most of it and do fun stuff to make it all actually bearable, for example. But instead of the fun route, I created a route that isn't making it easy on myself. I chose to neglect myself and focus on other people. Making myself happy felt unattainable, but I was very able to make others happy. And their happiness gives me a short burst of at least feeling a bit useful. But in the long run, this isn't a sustainable route. All the more because I didn't acknowledge that I was depressed. This focusing on others and feeling excessively responsible for them is something I'm used to doing in my working life, too. I feel like I should do my very best all the time, even if it costs my own health and happiness. This caused my first massive collapse at the age of 23. I managed to get to work, but there I suddenly felt paralyzed and drained from any emotions and energy. From there, I started the trajectory of managing the depression which continues today. I am 29 now and need regular therapy sessions, antidepressants, and regular trips to a physical therapist to loosen up my back. A mental stiffening tends to stiffen your physique too to help me through my daily life. The way I approach life is the problem. The problems you talked about on the podcast are things I continually face, too. I feel totally stuck in this cycle of feeling responsible in a disproportionate way, working extremely hard to manage the unrealistic workload, and people expecting me to work this hard to a your-wish-is-my-command type of level because I don't say no enough. It can be so hard to explain that sometimes it just is too much when the usual reaction is, yeah, I totally understand, and I certainly don't mean to pressure you, but, um, and then they overcharge me any Anyway. So Beau goes on to say that she really had to get back to life in a step-by-step, day-by-day way. Getting outside of my house... And among people, which I did with tears in my eyes and afraid anyone would ask me something, etc. You can imagine I'm really eager to break this cycle before it gets worse. So hearing your podcast was so nice. Knowing you're not the only one struggling. You know that, obviously, but someone sharing their experience is so nice. And knowing there are women like Emily Aries who are working to change things for women like me is super comforting. I will certainly check out the Bossed Up site as it sounded very inspiring. So, Bo, I'm sorry about your
0: struggles, but I'm so glad we could help in any little way. Well, I've got a letter here from Morgan, who we had the pleasure of meeting at our meetup in Nashville not too long ago. And Morgan wrote, first, I want to say how much I love the show and appreciate how much passion you two put into everything. It really helps me through my busy days. And speaking of busy days, I know all too well the woes and struggles of time management and the feeling of burnout. I'm a 25 year old mother of two girls under five, a fundraising coordinator and secretary on the board for a nonprofit. My husband and I, along with a few friends started the photographer and Facebook administrator for said nonprofit and a local car show. And that's just what I volunteer for. I recently started working for the family business and making an income as a marketing and catering manager. And that's a mouthful. I know juggling is my act in this sideshow life. And let me tell you, stressful doesn't even begin to describe it. I've dealt with depression for a long time, but I've never really gotten the help I deserve. But when I heard Emily Aries discuss burnout and how draining it can be, I felt relieved to know someone has stood where I stand. This really resonates with me. Lately, I really do feel as if I'm working myself to death. But thanks to this podcast, I realized I need to step back to reorganize and prioritize my values and efforts. I've done a few things recently for myself and my happiness. In the future, I strive to continue to get bossed up. Well, thanks so much, Morgan, and I'm so happy to hear that. And folks, we want to hear from you now. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with our sources so you can learn more about coloring books, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. we wow.